Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Today's episode of the VanCast is brought to you by Robinhood. With Robinhood, you can invest in stocks, options, and ETFs right from your phone. You can even spend and earn interest on uninvested cash. And with fractional shares, you can buy stocks in any amount, including companies like Apple, Amazon, and Tesla, for as little as $1. And that's with no commission fees or account minimums. So whether you're new to investing and ready to learn, or just looking for a better experience, stop waiting and join the 10 million Robinhood users. Listeners can get started with a free stock by going to vancast.robinhood.com. That's vancast.robinhood.com. Robinhood.com. All investments involve risk. This is not an investment advice, a recommendation, or a solicitation of any security. Other fees may apply. Visit rbnhd.co slash fees. The free stock program is subject to certain limitations. Annual percentage yield, APY, on uninvested cash is paid by program banks and is variable. Robinhood Financial is not a bank. A new VanCast for you to get you through the All-Star break. We need you to savor this one because, uh, like the players, your favorite podcasters, need a little bit of a break midseason as well. So we'll get back up and running when the Vancouver Canucks do. Oh, let me check that. The first place Vancouver Canucks when they get back into action after their All-Star break. And they head into the break following a 4-1 win over the San Jose Sharks. We're going to dip into the mailbag. We'll have a little fun on this week's version of the VanCast. But before we do that, Drancer, let's just take a look back at the way the Canucks hit the break, and they did it in style. Eight straight wins on home ice. They're 11-2 in their last 13 games at Rogers Arena. They're 11-3 in their last 14 games overall. And when you think back to mid-December and that lost weekend in San Jose and Vegas, and they came home and lost to Montreal, and people were wondering, you know, where was this season headed? What direction were things going to take for the Vancouver Canucks? Well, the Canucks have answered that, and they've done it in style. And, you know, you got to step back and applaud them for sort of this turnaround and this run that they've been on and the fact that, you know, 
if it's even for a handful of nights, they can say that they were first place in the division at some point this season. Yeah, and look, they've been full value, especially when you think back to their last five games, you know, and how they've rebounded from that horror show that was their trip through Florida. And, you know, they've outshot their opponents by 30 in the five games since. They've played two lock it down like these games against the Arizona Coyotes which they won on Thursday and against the San Jose Sharks which they won on Saturday and granted I do think the San Jose Sharks put in what I might call the most lackluster performance I've seen from an NHL team on in any game I've watched live or on television this season nonetheless the Canucks looked like you know like one of those classic central division like systems teams right like they sort of did this coyotes act they looked like a team capable of sucking oxygen out of their opponents and you know i do think that's something they're going to need to be able to do especially sort of you know as this season and as the stakes rise but look first place it's it's a you know a big deal for this organization to be in this kind of position this late in the season um, you know, eight straight home wins. I don't think that's happened since Aline Vigneault was coach. Um, so, you know, two coaches ago. And, you know, the margins are so fine that I think we need to be a little restrained in terms of victory laps or sort of anointing what this team is, right? You'll lose against the Sharks tonight. And instead of being the eighth best team in the NHL by points going into the break, you're 18th. Um, instead of being first in the Pacific, you're fifth. Like, the margins are still so fine, and they're going to need so many more performances like this. But, you know, I think what's vital to take away sort of from how this team responded from those Florida games and goes into this break is, you know, they've outplayed their opponents five straight. They've won four of five. Um, you know, they've looked, they've stabilized a five-on-five game that had been trending in the wrong direction for several weeks. Um, you know, now they can get a break. And, and you know, I think they have shown some maturity and some balance and, and, you know, demonstrated some of the things that I think may permit this team to get back to the level five on five that they have to be to sort of let their strengths, that, you know, elite skill at the top end, the power play, their goaltending shine, you know, allow those sort of things to win them games here. Again, we're going to dip into the mailbag here in a sec, but just a few more thoughts on the way this team hit the break. And, you know, one of the things that jumps out at you, it had to from the win over San Jose, was the second unit on uh, the power play. And we've talked about the second unit, but really the second unit against the Sharks became the top unit. And, it, you know, Tanner Pearson scores, and it was an important goal. It stretched the lead from one nothing to 2 nothing. Turns out to be the game winner. But I really thought that that second unit served notice in the second period. Brendan Dillon takes a high-sticking penalty on Jake Vertanen. Travis Green starts the second unit. And for two full minutes against the best penalty killers by the numbers in the National Hockey League, the Sharks have the best penalty killing in the NHL, for two full minutes, that second unit pinned the Sharks. Didn't score, but did everything but. And look, there are teams around this league that would kill to have one unit that they could trust and rely on. Uh, we've seen it for a while now, but maybe not much better indication than uh, we saw against San Jose. Uh, just the, the potency and the power of the Canucks' second unit to be able to dominate and then ultimately to produce when the chips were down. The thing that stands out to me about that sequence, especially that two minutes 
was just how ridiculous that puck retrieval game was, right? Uh, Roussel in the bumper spot, you know, I, I don't think he's adding a ton of play. I mean, he's an actually an underrated playmaker off the rush, but in a stationary attack like you've got on the power play, like I don't think he's bringing a lot of hands necessarily to the bumper spot, but watching him skate around and just hit every Sharks player that even had like a 50-50 shot at clearing the puck, um, and then watching what that does in terms of the next guy who sort of goes into the puck battle, uh, you, you know, I think that was a, a key to that sort of sequence. And, you know, the second unit with Vertanen on his strong side, you know, to my surprise, honestly, because I don't know that I would have expected him to have this level of, you know, playmaking precision but you think about that two minute sequence where he dove down sort of toward the uh, goal line and sent that perfect pass to Tanner Pearson which you know was an excellent Dell save but really one of the best chances the Canucks created and didn't convert on this evening uh, you know that's the sort of thing that you know he's really added to his repertoire I think he's been full value uh, in that spot, I need to stop saying full value, but he's been excellent, truly great, and uh, and you know a, a revelation almost. Like I'd go as far as to say that I think he's been probably the driver on that second power play unit. Uh, you know, especially over the last ten games or so. Obviously, assisted on the Pearson goal and and looked dangerous all evening. But look, they've done some excellent work, and uh, you know I think the power play, like the first unit, I know has not produced the way most people expect it to probably those players included over the past 10 games but I think they've been excellent too in terms of sustaining that pressure building momentum for the Canucks and you know it's just a matter of time with talent like they've got and another night where Louie is the the fire starter like it really I mean you have to step back you know on one hand you laugh at it because like where has it come from and yet at the same time like it's impossible to argue with uh, the production, the play of that line, his contributions to it. And, uh, you know, he had the, the shorthanded opportunity with Tyler Mott that probably would have brought the house down had he converted then. He didn't. He came close. He got a good chance. Uh, but a few minutes later, there he is, you know, battling with Eric Carlson and able to, to poke home a puck that opens the scoring for the Vancouver Canucks. So uh, it was funny because on uh, game day morning, uh, ahead of the Sharks game, maybe the biggest scrum of the season uh, from the media, <laughs> around of all people, Louis Erickson, oh. but that's kind of where we are with him right now. Unbelievable. Look, it is funny, right? Like, it is funny. And, you know, it's also true. Like, what he's doing is actually really strong. This isn't a percentage-based mirage. Like, this is a guy who's come in, and that line has played better than they have for any other stretch this season. Now, look, I don't think, you know, I kind of put it to Travis green post game in sort of this way and he said look Bo Horvat's been at his best over the past 10 games I think that's absolutely true I think you know when you think about you mentioned that Montreal game but if you look back at that Montreal game like he had one shot right they were pulverized five on five and I think basically since that game the Canucks have been cooking and and so is Horvat and I do think that's sort of the you know, main factor is, is Horvat sort of on his horse and playing at a different caliber than he has at any other point this season. And, and Louis's been along for the ride, but I also think Louis's been useful, right? He's been a quality utility player. And, and that's kind of what I see him as, you know, in a depth role thrust into this top six, he's, 
handled a matchup role and more than handled it. He's actually excelled and, you know, good for him. I mean, Benalti scratched 19 times. Obviously, you know, no one's going to feel a ton of sympathy for a guy paid at the level he is. Uh, but, you know, three and a half years into his Canucks tenure, Louis Erickson, a useful top six contributor. Three and a half years into his Canucks tenure, Louis Erickson has arrived. <laughs> there we go oh, See, you, you can only help but laugh a little bit let's have some fun as we roll through this fan cast here for the all-star week uh let's get into that mailbag yeah. uh, we we solicited questions and again uh the people have responded and uh, we appreciate that we thank you all for the support we're having fun with the podcast and hopefully you're enjoying it as well and we want you the people to be a part of it so uh, as we've done sort of on a monthly basis here through the season we've uh, opened up uh, the floor to to questions and uh, i was glad to see the response so where are we starting in the mailbag we are going to start with jay bear and that's at the jay bear he asks let's say the canucks have a fully healthy roster nearing the end of the season an excuse-free roster what is the optimal lineup that green deploys there's a part of me that says you're looking at it i mean the way that they are playing and i, and I do think that you know the success that they're having goes hand in hand with sort of this consistency that yeah there are injuries i mean Furlan, who knows and levo's been out a while uh, otherwise you know they get sutter back uh, in this week leading into the all-star break and now for the first time in a while travis green had to make decisions and tim schaller's the odd man out and so he's stuck on four goals and he's not adding to his total uh and where it goes from here who knows but uh, you know, I, like I've heard a lot of people saying, oh, Jim Benning's going to be a buyer ahead of the deadline. Like, uh, look, I still don't think that Louis Erickson is the long-term play on the right side for Bo Horvat, but there is something good going in this Canuck locker room right now, and I do wonder a little bit about altering chemistry and those types of things. So I think what you see in these couple of games leading into the All-Star break is pretty darn close to the optimal lineup given the personnel, the healthy personnel that they have right now. Yeah, and, you know, it begs an interesting question, which is, you know, Michael Furland was, we didn't see him skate before morning skate today, obviously hasn't, didn't rejoin the team on the road uh, as Brandon Sutter did, but where exactly would you fit Furland into this lineup even if he were healthy based on his form, you know, in the first five weeks of the season prior to, or I guess four weeks of the season prior to him suffering that first injury in Los Angeles. You know, that's a, that's sort of a tough one to solve because I don't think you'd pull him. I don't think you'd put him in for Louis Erickson right now. And, you know, the other thing, and I want to give you full credit here, Jeff, you asked Travis Green an excellent question about Alex Edler's usage. And, you know, the Canucks have been sort of spotting him these, you know, supporting minutes, right? He, he hasn't kind of been a matchup guy on sort of a regular basis. He's playing mostly at even strength with Troy Stetcher. He only played 18 minutes against the Sharks. Um, you know, they've found a way to manage his minutes. They've taken him off the power play. Um, you know, they've sort of given him a, a more managed role and, and we're no longer on Alex Edler penalty watch. And you're right that like, you know, you think about the step on hit in the Arizona game and the LeBanc hit, a uh, little bank hit uh, in the, against the Sharks, you know, he has been physically assertive. Like, he seems to be at his best sort of playing in a, a bit of a more reduced role, almost like late career Sammy Sallow. And uh, look, I think he's been excellent. 
Yeah, and I, and I think the statistics bear it out. Uh, I haven't done the update after the Shark game, but heading into that game, I mean, he's been back for a dozen games. He jumped on board during the seven-game win streak. So, you know, individual records don't re- – I mean, the Canucks are 9-3 and three with Edler, but they were on that run, you know, before he got back in there. But in terms of even-strength goals – uh, you know, heading into the game, I think he had been on the ice for 13 goals for and six against since his return. And, you know, he and Stetcher seemed to form a pretty nice pairing. I, I think you'd call that the second pair uh, because Hughes and Tanev obviously have stepped up as that top pairing. And then that's allowed Myers and Fantenberg sort of to uh, step in and, and be a third pair. Uh, you know, Myers has assumed the role of the defenseman, the one D-man on the, the second power play unit. Fantenberg's killing penalties. So, yeah, Edler's no longer a power play guy. Uh, he's only played more than 22 minutes twice in the 12 games since he's been back. And I do think at this stage of his career, less can be more. And I think we're seeing that from, from Alex Edler. So, uh, you know, again, if you had Josh Levo, would Levo slot in ahead of Louis Erickson? Yes. Perhaps, uh, probably, but... Again, if Louis continues to do Louis things, uh, who knows where it goes from here. Uh, whatever the case, uh, everybody's kind of pulling on the rope in the same direction to get them to the All-Star break in top spot in the division. Yeah, and, and just l- last thing on Edler from the San Jose Sharks game. Um, you know, the Canucks outshot the Sharks 12-5 to with him on the ice at 5-on-5 five five in the game. Three shots on goal, three hits, four blocks. I mean, that's just as good as it gets in 18 minutes of play for an NHL defenseman. All right, moving on to the next question. The Ben signing says, at third line winger, already looks like a mistake. Will there be an opportunity to trade him? Yeah, you're starting to wonder. Uh, I think you have to wonder that. A mistake, I'm not sure you can go down that road. Like, you know, at the time, it looked like a value signing. Everybody applauded it. BC boy coming home. He he chose the Canucks over the Montreal Canadiens. You know, the same offer was on the table. He could have stayed in Montreal. You know, he picked the Vancouver Canucks and played the first, what, 35 games. And then, you know, when Edler got healthy, kind of like Sutter coming back, you know, decisions had to be made. And Vandenberg has stepped in, and, and Vandenberg's been fine. Uh, I'm a little surprised that they haven't found a way to work Jordy Ben back in, but that's a coach's decision. And with a year left in his contract, you know, absolutely. I guess I, I could see the Canucks looking around to see if there was a market there. I mean, Ben's got to be a little frustrated. He chose the Canucks. He wanted to play here, and he's not playing right now. So, you know, on that level, uh, it's not a healthy situation. I don't think he's creating any waves I certainly haven't picked up that vibe in the locker room I think he's a good veteran guy but you know he signed a two-year deal to play for the Vancouver Canucks and he's not playing so you know he might be open to going elsewhere I don't know but those are the types of questions that you know we're gonna have to put to him and to management as well as uh, we work I mean when they come out of the all-star break they're less than a month uh, the month countdown to the trade deadline so uh, you know I don't have an answer to that question, but I think it is something worth exploring, certainly from a Canucks perspective. Yeah, and, you know, I think the ultimately, like, when you're signing a guy to a deal with that kind of conservative term, it's never going to be a mistake, even if it doesn't quite work out. And, you know, uh, my guess is, anyway, the team would prefer to have Ben around if they could, um, and that, you know, if ultimately it would be 
just about accommodating him in the event that they made the move at least during the season because you know I, I'm sure in the event that someone does go down and his ability to play the left and right side also makes him kind of an ideal seventh um, you know they'd prefer to have a guy with his skill set you know even if he's not sort of regularly around, then on the roster. Right, and just before we move on, I mean, look, we are living in sort of hallowed times uh, for the Canucks defense to have healthy bodies, and again, like, find me a two-by-four somewhere to knock on that Chris Tanev has played every single game up to the All-Star break. Like, if you had asked me for sort of the wildest scenarios heading into the season, and somebody had suggested that Tanev would be an everyday guy for all 49 games, I would have said no way. No way, based on his recent track record. But to me, that is really, I mean, there are a ton of really good storylines for the Vancouver Canucks and kind of a low-key, really good storyline is the fact that Tanev has been around to shepherd and mentor Quinn Hughes. As great as Hughes has been, I mean, Chris Tanev has played a role sort of in his coming out party. No question about it. And and on and off the ice, right? They spend a lot of time together off the ice, too, of playing chess and, and cooking and on and on. So, um, you know, I think that goes well beyond even just what you see during the broadcasts. Um, let's stick on Tanev and get to a question from Dakota Dunlop. That's at Dak attack 92 dakota asks if you could keep only one of stetcher or tanev who do you keep i've seen this question kicked around uh on social media i think guys were talking about it on the radio as well uh you know look the playoffs and, and now that they're sitting atop the division as we record this you know I, I think that sort of changes the framing of the conversation too for what's possible like somebody has to win the pacific division i think there's probably this thought now in the connect locker room like why not them you know for all this time it's doing just scratching and clawing to get into the playoffs but uh they have a legitimate shot of being uh not only a playoff team but a, a division winner and home ice and all those types of things you know getting into the playoffs is the priority after four years of missing and chris tanev we just talked about the role that he plays with he like he's a huge part a massive component of the vancouver canucks from this point of the season on as long as he's healthy and playing and so you know look other teams could use his services certainly he could help any playoff bound team but I don't see the Canucks moving from Chris Tanev while they're still playing hockey this year so you know if the question is beyond this year you know Tanev's now on the wrong side of 30 and we've talked about the fact that he's you know sort of defeated the odds by playing every game that doesn't mean that he's now going to go on this Iron Man streak for you know the next foreseeable future I guess I would say Stetcher is the guy that you'd commit to just because he's younger and I know that you've spoken at length here recently on the radio sort of about uh, you know his value and and sort of how he's seen by the organization here as opposed to maybe some teams around the National Hockey League. But as much as I like Chris Tanev and everything that he's done for the organization, if I had to pick one, I think I'd probably side with Stetcher. Yeah, me too. And, and partly because I just think it's going to be a more value proposition. Like at some point, this team needs to be efficient somewhere on the roster. And, you know, my guess is anyway is that based on – Tanev's longevity in the league, his reputation around the NHL, how rare his defensive skill set is. I, I just suspect that that's not going to be a place where you can find value, you know, uh, above the value of his contract. Now, look, in an ideal world, you'd find a way to keep both because I actually think the, you know, right side of your defense is 
been pretty solid and um, you know I, I think both are guys who help you win and so ideally you could figure that out but you know I just look at these books and it, it just looks so stuffed especially when you consider that there's you know Markstrom, Tanev Stetcher, Godet, Vertanen at the Levo at the very least who are coming back if they're coming back at a higher number than they're currently at right they they have a lot of money committed here like you know i know that they're going to have some space to get it done uh you know 18 million projected but i mean that dries up so quickly once you talk once you start talking about five for markstrom minimum right um sorry rick um once you get to talking about you know i mean vertanen i mean if he's a 45 point guy like damn that's a good arb case you know if uh if godet godet could be a 35 point guy right like godet could be a 15 goal 35 point player by the time you're now he's 10.2 c you can grind that guy if you want but you also want to create the sort of relationship where he'll be value for you throughout the life of his rfa years so i mean that's a delicate balance and, and on and on and and so i think what it comes down to is you know to maximize their options here, the Canucks just have to find a way to get off a couple of these contracts, whether it's Sutter, whether it's Erickson, whether it's Furlan now, unfortunately, um, whether it's Sven Berchi. Like, they just need to find some space, some breathing room, so that they can improve this team and maintain this team's quality. Um, so, you know, good luck to them. It's going to be fun to cover, but it but it is not going to be an easy management issue to solve here. All right, we'll get you to dip back into that mailbag. We've got time for a few more questions. So uh, where are we heading next year? All right, from Dean Road. This is at Dean Ezra Road, R-O-D-E. He asks us, who scores more goals this season, Louis Erickson or Tim Schaller? Hashtag pack of gumbet. <laughs> Well, I think I think we know the answer. I mean, as we record this, Louis already ahead, scored his fifth against San Jose. Uh, Schaller's been stalled out for a little while here, it's been like a long three time. months. It's been a long time. <laughs> he had that span. He had four and three games, and it looked like the sky was the limit. I know. I looked like a genius for a very brief moment there. So, yeah. I mean, as long as Louis playing second line minutes, and honestly, like I saw people on social. Wondering how long it was going to be before he worked his way back onto the power play. I mean, this is the, the world we're living in with Louis right now. Um, and think it wasn't that long ago that Louis and Brandon Sutter were part of the second unit. So, I mean, it shows, you know, the evolution of the hockey club, and they are getting better, and that's an area, certainly. Uh, but, no, I mean, if I'm taking that bet, I'm taking Louis all day long. Oh, Louis's going to score 10 more empty net goals this season so i mean clearly the closer is going to outscore tim schaller i i don't think there's any any doubt unfortunately where are we with the bet though because look schaller's not playing now he's stuck on four you can't be feeling good about double digits i can't but on the other hand we've seen that he's a streaky scorer right i mean look he could reel off four goals in another two weeks two-week stretch when he gets back in the lineup. But, yeah, I mean, look, it's starting to look tough in terms of where he's even going to get his ice time again, right? Like, he needs probably an injury, right, to get back in the lineup even. So, no, I'm, I mean, look, I'm not 
I haven't bought the gum yet. Like I'm not I'm not conceding and waving a white towel. Like oh, but I've been shopping. <laughs> I've, been, I've been window shopping. <laughs> I'm glad. Up and down the aisle at Seven Eleven. Genuinely, I'll be very disappointed though if we're not if if it's not like Tim Schaller at eight going into game eighty one. You know what I'm saying? Like oh no, I want the, yeah, I want yeah. the bet to be on. We no need, doubt. We need some drama here and like Tim Schaller game eighty one. You know, at eight, right? So that like every time he touches the puck in the offensive end, like we've got VanCast listeners tweeting excitedly at us, right? Like that's what this is about. We need to find a well. Look, whether 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 it hits or not, you know, I'm hoping just for some drama and some excitement um, because that's what I think us and our and our loyal listeners deserve. All right, I like this question. This is from Third Line Winger at Third Line Winger. He asks us, and this is kind of out of left field, but, I, but I'm, I'm all for it. Barring what happened in between, would the trade of McCann, a second, and a fourth for Tanner Pearson and a fifth be a win for the Canucks? No. <laughs> no. 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 Like, Tanner Pearson's been an amazing point producer, and I keep thinking at some point it's got to stop. And you just keep leaving the rink, and it's two more here and two more there. And yeah, there have been some empty netters, but he also got the winner against the Sharks on the power play. We talked about the second unit. But still, for a team that is trying to build to greater heights, uh, to have a young, skilled centerman like Jared McCann, uh, he could be here for a decade. He could have been here for a decade had they not moved on him. So... Uh, look, the Tanner Pearson story has been good, even better when you think that they got him in exchange for Goodbranson. Like, forget about the previous moves that brought Goodbranson here, but just to flip Eric Goodbranson for a player that's going to get somewhere between 50 and 60 points this season for the Vancouver Canucks. Like, that's off the charts good when people talk about Jim Benning's best trade. I don't think there's much doubt right no. now that Tanner Pearson is it. But still, I think uh, for a building team, uh, Jared McCann would look pretty damn good on this lineup yeah and and don't forget that jared mccann or sorry don't forget that the second round pick that the canucks gave up in that deal became um you know uh i think it was per asplund or whatever who plays for the buffalo sabers but still on the board uh, a jim benning favorite in his draft year alex to break it so uh, that's sort of the the cherry on top that i would that i would add to that I like this one. This one's a really simple one, but it's from Big Dan Smash at Cheba09 on Twitter. Big Dan Smash asks us, Vancast, what's your go-to or guilty pleasure movie slash game snack? Personally, wine gums. That's not my answer, by the way. That's what Big Dan Smash's favorite. Big Dan Smash. Yeah, is but a big I think. Wine gums guy. But I think you side with him on the wine gums <laughs> because people don't know this. In the second intermission, this is a couple of seasons now. Second intermission at Canuck home games, there's always this race from press row up into like the little lounge area in the media, on level 500 media area, and in the second intermission they dole out candy and ice cream, and it's different every night. And there were some wine gums, and man, did you pounce. Like, nobody else stood a chance with the wine gums because uh, it was like Ritz crackers and yeah. wagon wheels. But in amongst those, there was like this one ray bag. of sunshine that was <laughs> wine gums. I saw you holding it. I thought, oh, man, wine gums is great. We're all going to No, we're not all going to get <laughs> because you pounced. I think you left with a few seconds left in that second period. Anyways, uh, so, yeah, second intermissions here. It's always kind of fun to see what's going to be out there, and it's a pretty good array and it, it 
varies from night to night. But for me, uh, I'm a, I'm a potato chip guy. Like that's oh, just really? yeah. And I don't like uh, salt and vinegar, sour cream and onion, all dressed. I like. I don't. No ketchup. No ketchup. Definitely what? no ketchup. What? In fact, I'm not certain that I have ever eaten ketchup chips. No. I can't sit here and tell you oh. definitively that I oh. have. I oh. may have somewhere along the line, but I have no recollection. Oh. But just the idea of ketchup chips, I, I no, have. You got to do it. You got to. No, it. I don't. At yeah. this stage of my life, I don't. They're I do fabulous. not. Lay's ketchup chips, like, I don't even like chips that much, but Lay's ketchup chips, having left the country for three years, like, one of the things I missed most about Canada was ketchup chips, truly. Like, I, my inability to buy them, like, I'd buy big bags at Shoppers when I came up, uh, truly, like, ketchup chips, I, I think you should give, like, a small snack-sized bag of, of Lay's ketchup chips another chance. No, in a word, I don't think so. I think I'm kind of set in my ways, and I like my potato chips, but... Oh. Uh, no, sorry. It's going to take a better sell job than that to get me uh, to roll down Ketchup Chip right. Avenue. Well, our next bet is the, the, the if I if I win the next bet, you got to eat, eat a bag of ketchup chips on the show. I got to find out what that bet is first before I take it. What? Uh, oh yeah, yes, right. Uh, sorry, for me it would be peanut butter M and M's, a very specific M and M's bag, but peanut butter M and M's. If I go to the movies, that's what I want. All right, do we have uh, one more that jumps sure, out at you? Let's, let's, do one let's more. finish up here. Keep the people entertained through the All-Star break. All right, from Tessa, and oh boy, I better check to see whether this is a capitalized I or an L because it seems to be test. It's either test sticky 76 or I'll leave it to your imagination. Um, she asks us, who had the more impressive rookie season? Hughes so far. Or Patterson. Oh man, like I just I, I marvel every night that I watch Quinn Hughes, and I have to think that I did the same last year with Elias Patterson. But that second half of the season, I don't want to say it sort of clouded my view of Patterson's rookie season, but he burst onto the scene and just took the league by storm. You know, scores on his first shot in the NHL, 10 goals in those first 10 games, it was so electric. And then it was a struggle for him and the whole team that second half last year. And and it was tough to watch, not Patterson individually, but that second half of the season, they were the lowest scoring team in the league from Christmas on last year. You know, he got hurt for a second time early on in the second half, so he missed a little stretch there. Um and the electricity just wasn't at the same level that it was for the first 35 or 40 games. And still, it was good enough for him to win the Rookie of the Year. But it's, Hughes seems to be getting better on a nightly basis. And it, it just it's kind of been, you know, from a – I mean, his jumping on point was pretty high to begin with. But it's been this steady build. And it just – maybe it's because of the position he plays and the Canucks have just really never had anybody like him. It feels to me like there's something – even a little more special in Hughes' season than there was in Pedersen. And I say that with all the respect in the world to Elias Pedersen because, I mean, it was amazing to watch him. It's been fun to watch him in a, uh, a second go-round, and, and he's getting better too. But, damn, Hughes is just the, the things that he does, the way that he does it, the confidence with which he plays. And, and Pedersen did all that too. But I don't know. I'm just uh, – you're, you're making me pick my poison here. 
and there's no wrong answer, obviously. Right. But I just, to me, Hughes has been so special. Just I think it's because as a guy who's born and raised in Vancouver, has watched this team almost since its inception, and wondered when a defenseman like that was going to arrive, and finally we, we have that answer. I was trying to phrase a question to Quinn Hughes the other day, and I, I wish I could remember exactly what I was asking. But it was you know something along the lines of, you know, has it been more difficult to sort of sustain this just as you get past, you know, the number of games that you've ever played at any other level. And, you know, he, he sort of just matter of factly was like, well, it's like I keep saying to everybody every time I'm asked. And I thought it was going to be a non-answer, right? I thought, oh, well, this is, you know, I haven't asked this one correctly. And instead he, he goes, um, you know, I'm pretty sure I'm just going to keep getting better here. <laughs> and I was just like, nice, let's go. Because um, I just think that level of understate, like he wasn't cocky about it, right? He was just like, no, it's just like I've, been saying I'm going to keep figuring things out and and you know I just think that's you know the way that he's handling matchup minutes and on and on I mean wildly impressive I, I didn't get to watch Pedersen's rookie season up close but I still sort of tracked it uh with interest and and for me anyway I, I will pick Pedersen and not just for clash but because I do think that the you know the guy who was 165 pounds coming in and everyone thought he was going to play on the wing and he all of a sudden the team has a franchise centerman i just think that that's such a seismic shift in terms of not just the vancouver's fortunes last season or vancouver's watchability last season or how fans around the team felt about it, uh, about the club but just in terms of what this club can be over the next decade like you know Getting this franchise defenseman, they've never had that. But they've really only had one centerman, too. Like, people, you know, Bruff and Halford love to talk about the defenseman. But it's like, other than the Henrik Sedin era, right, this team's been a winger and goalie team for its entire existence, right? And, you know, the fact of the matter is an elite centerman and elite defenseman at the same time. Like, really what makes Hughes' season special and, and what makes Pedersen's season special in retrospect is that this is all happening together. And whether it's Hughes, whether it's Pedersen, and whether it's Brock Besser before them, they all have chemistry. Like, they all seem to get along. They all seem to complement each other. And, and really where Quinn Hughes stands out to me is that he's a force enhancer. Like, you put him out with, you know, Tanev, and it seems like Tanev's defensive game has sort of more of a chance to shine. You put him out on the power play, and it's like, oh, no one's going to feed Petey as good a pass to get off that one time where he hit, hit the post against San Jose. That would have been an epic goal if he had gone bar down with it. Uh, you know, he seems to get, like, the extra 2% out of elite players that he's put on the ice with. It's a remarkable skill. I think Hughes' season is made more special because of what Pedersen did, but for me anyway, Pedersen's evolution his development bigger for the franchise long term and just had this you know magnetic impact right off the bat I mean people were fighting about whether the NHL store was stuffing Pedersen jerseys <laughs> into into it because of uh, Vancouver being in town but I don't think they were like I think Pedersen just had that sort of instant star power um, in a different way than Hughes you know Hughes is sort of seen as you know in the sidecar to Kale McCarr um, I probably could have made a better pun there, but, uh, you know, Pedersen was sort of stood alone. I mean, it's a fascinating question because just the fact that we're debating, you know, who means more, who's been more impressive. The, look, it's a dead heat. They've both been incredible and they're both such big parts 
of why the Canucks have done the things that they have done to put them in the division lead as they hit the All-Star break. I uh, appreciate all the feedback. Didn't get a chance to get into all the questions, but we'll do this again as we roll through uh, the VanCast in the weeks ahead. Maybe another one just ahead of the trade deadline towards the end of February, but it's a week off for most of the Vancouver Canucks, uh, the three that are going to the All-Star game, Hughes and Pedersen, of course, and Jacob Markstrom, and I'm sure that uh, they'll have a terrific time there. We'll watch from afar. We'll reconvene. They get back into action against the Stanley Cup champion St. Louis Blues in another home game, so a chance to try to push the win streak to nine at Rogers Arena when they ramp things up in the stretch run out of the All-Star break, and then it's back out on the road for five starting in San Jose, and we'll see if there's any carryover. Oh, bit of nastiness and some uh, bad blood between these teams towards the end of the hockey game. 4-1, uh, the Canucks beat the Sharks, and that's going to do it for this week's VanCast. A reminder to make sure you rate and subscribe the VanCast on Apple. If you click on the show URL, theathletic.com slash thevancast, you'll get 40% off your subscription, and you get to hear a subscriber-only edition of the podcast each week as well. So, Drancer, enjoy your all-star break. I will enjoy my downtime as well. We'll get back at it, and uh, we'll see where the stretch run takes the Vancouver Canucks. Look forward to hearing tales of your vacation in Mexico. I hope you ride a horse. I don't know why. I know that's an out-of-left-field sort of thing that I want for you, but I feel like there's good horse riding in Mexico. I think you should maybe take a half day off the resort and, and go find a horse to ride with your family. I feel like your daughter would have a good time. Please tell me you're already planning to do this. I saw over my wife's shoulder the other day. She was sitting at the computer checking out horseback riding yes. options yes. in Mexico, so I just oh. might have some tales to tell. Uh, for my horseback adventure uh, <laughs> south of a couple of borders. That's going to do it for the VanCast for Drancer. It's J-Pat. Enjoy your all-star break, everybody. We'll get back at it uh, when the Canucks fire things up at home to the St. Louis Blues. But that's going to do it for the VanCast here at The Athletic and theathletic.com. Giddy up. <laughs>